Please stand as I read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by, me, by means of the word of God and prayer. Would you pray with me? God of glory, we do ask that you would speak until your church is built and the earth is filled with the knowledge of your glory. Would your spirit prepare us for what you have to say? Would you unblind our eyes, unclog our ears, soften our hearts, give us a, an attentiveness to you and to your word that is of your spirit? And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, would you speak to us? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father in heaven, would you speak? Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Paul is writing to his young protege, his apostolic emissary, if you want to sound great. Uh, his um, not quite a pastor, not quite a fully an elder. He's um, he's continuing on the the apostles' work in Ephesus, and Timothy is a young man, and he needs coaching, he needs accountability, and um, but Paul is not able to be there, and so Timothy is the voice of Paul, if you will. He is the worker of. Um, the apostles' intentions in Ephesus. And as we've already seen, Ephesus has been plagued by false teachers. From the very beginning, right, Paul sends Timothy there because of this. He sends Timothy there in chapter 1 that he might um, teach, that, that he would instruct certain men, verse 3 of chapter 1, instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Rather than furthering the plan of God, what these false teachers were doing were so clouding up the spiritual waters as to make the church altogether ineffectual for Jesus' ends and altogether corrupted from the true gospel. And when the church of Jesus, when the church of Jesus, including the church at Ephesus, begins to give an ear 
to those who sound like they're talking the truth, but are actually not speaking the truth. Well, certainly the church will lose her effectual effectiveness in the gospel of Jesus. The church's fellowship toward with one another will be suffering, suffer and their connection with the Lord Jesus himself will suffer. And the individual members of that church will begin to atrophy, spiritually shrink, even though they may have been in the church for decades. Church membership is no barometer necessarily of spiritual maturity. That it is possible to be in a church and never grow up. That's not exactly what's happening here, but it's, it's possible if you're in a church and that church is plagued by, or maybe not even plagued by, if, if simply there is false teaching that is tolerated, your spiritual growth will be inhibited. Your relationship with Jesus will be inhibited. Your connection with the body will be inhibited. Your work for Christ in the world will be inhibited. Your enjoyments of the gifts of Jesus, the the pleasures and the wonders of knowing the risen Christ, those will be inhibited. That what Paul begins to engage in in chapter 4 is of utmost importance, not just for the first century church at Ephesus, but for us. Because he opens up the doors of the conversation or the teaching about apostasy. Now, he doesn't use that language. He says that some will fall away from the faith. To fall away from the faith, we're talking about apostasy. To fall away from the faith means that some point, at some point, this person had something of the faith. They had some connection to the faith. Maybe they gave lip service to Christ. Maybe they had some emotional experience that didn't quite hold on. It was a counterfeit experience. It wasn't a true conversion. Maybe this person had grown up in a Christian home. And they'd been around the things of Jesus, been around the things of God. They had a family Bible and they had prayer time and meals. And and yet the faith was never their own. For whatever reason, this person at one time exhibited something of the faith, ascribed to the faith in Christ at some point and in some way, and yet fell away. That there is a category in the New Testament for false converts. There's a category in the New Testament for those, consider the parable of our Lord Jesus, the parable of the sower. Where Jesus says a man went out to sow and he sows the seed. He he throws the seed all over the place and some of it lands on the path. Some of it lands among the thorns. Some of it lands among the stones and rocks and some of it lands on good soil. Well, you know what happens with the good soil? It bears fruit. 130, 60, 100 fold. There's fruit that grows from the gospel seed. The word of God planted in that life. But you also know the story of the rest of them, right? The the seed that fell on the path is immediately plucked up by birds. And that's precisely what Satan wants to do today for you. 
He wants to come and if possible, take the word of the gospel that you were hearing this morning and he wants to remove it from your understanding and from your knowledge and from your memory so that you can return to life as, you, as normal from here. Business as usual. But the seed that falls among the thorns and the seed that falls among the rocks both bear something similar. Both of those seeds is when a gospel message, the truth of the good news of Jesus, meets a heart. And there's immediately something that happens. There's, there's some external faith. There's something that says, yes, I want that. And in terms of the, the thorns, there's the seed planted and begins to grow. And immediately the, the thorns and the briars wrap around it. Choke it, it deprives the water and the nutrients from the soil. It inhibits the growth of the leaves so that it can be exposed to the sunlight, which is where a tree makes its food. And Jesus says, it's the worries and the concerns of this life. Choke out the life. And so that plant, though it might have grown, it never bears fruit. And ultimately gets choked out. And then there's a seed that falls among the stones or among the rocks. There is no depth of soil, Jesus points out. And so even though it jumps up quickly. As soon as the heat of the sun lands upon it. It withers and dies because it has no depth of soil. When we're talking about false conversions and false converts, those two middle ones are evidence of Jesus's category for false conversion. And if this were a sermon on the parable of the sower, then that's exactly what I would kind of forgive the illustration. I would dig into Places where many people in churches and maybe even our church now at one time, I say maybe even there's no maybe even to it in our church as well. That at some point something happened, they believed something, they were baptized, something they prayed some prayer. And yet there was no depth of soil. And if you were to look at their life now, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later, there are no green leaves. There is no gospel fruit. There is no love for God. There is only worldliness and godlessness. That is a false convert that should have no confidence approaching the day of judgment. Apostasy is deadly dangerous. It was deadly dangerous for the Ephesian Christians and it is deadly dangerous for us. Now, I don't want to spend the time arguing about whether you know, people lose their salvation or once saved, always, always saved. Uh, I think those things are kind of unhelpful. When we talk about the endurance of the saints, or another way to say it, the preservation or the perseverance of the saints, that those who truly are converted, that truly believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus, who truly have new life in them, they will endure to the end. 
And when I say they will endure to the end, they will continue to love Jesus, confess the truth of Christ until the end. Scripture knows no category of a once saved, always saved. I believed at this thing one time in 1974 when I went through VBS at Blaney Baptist Church. True story, by the way. I went through VBS at Blaney Baptist Church in 1974 and I was I prayed a prayer and I was baptized at the end of it. And I never came back to that church or any church. Dear ones, that is not biblical conversion. Biblical, biblical conversion is a wholesale change of nature. The old is gone and the new has come. That which was dead has been made alive by the enlivening power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when something is alive to Christ and alive in Christ, it will remain alive because Jesus remains alive. But if our conversion is to something other than Christ, then inevitably that conversion will fail because whatever that thing is will perish because it is not Jesus. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. What's the explicit communication of the Spirit for us? Well, All I know is that Paul is saying the same thing as Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Right? Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 24, almost not quite verbatim, but in Matthew 24, verse 10. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Many will fall away. Spirit explicitly says that in later times. Now, it sounds like Paul is simply talking about something that's in the future, like someday. And some people interpret this as someday there will be a great be a great apostasy and all these people are going to fall away. And I think really the New Testament has a category. It doesn't really have a category for nowadays and then last days. But wherever the age of the church is, that is the age of the last days. If perhaps you need evidence, and this isn't, I don't want to spend time here, but I'm going to spend time here for just for a second. Look at Acts chapter 2. You don't have to right now, but maybe later, or if you want to right now. Acts chapter 2. What happens in Acts chapter 2? Anybody? Not rhetorical. Holy Spirit, gold star. All right. Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. And Peter, in his sermon, quotes from the, pro- the prophet Joel. I think it's verse 16, 17, something like that. He quotes from the prophet Joel and he says, and God says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And and Peter's implication is, and you've just seen it. That according to the apostle Paul, I mean, apostle Peter's mind in Acts chapter two, the church age is the age of the last days. Okay, because he says the spirits come. It's the last days. There's not another category of like the last, last, last days. So when he's talking about in the later times, he's talking about right now. And if you want evidence of apostasy, good grief. Go look on the Internet. Danger zone. Go watch the news. Or perhaps, you know, people in your own. I do. I know men that I went to school with. And we're preaching in pulpits. 
that have made a course away from Christ. Not only have we seen this in the last, it seems like accelerated in the last 15, 20 years. And we'll talk about why in a second, maybe. But we've seen whole denominations apostatize. Whole denominations abandon the inerrancy and the infallibility and the sufficiency of God's word. And as such, they've become caught up in the winds of culture. So much so that if you were to step into one of those churches, you would not hear the gospel. Almost 100% of the time. The message that are preached are something else. So we see individuals and we see denominations. We've seen institutions Obviously, leave the faith, not just, I mean, recently, but also for a long time, because institutions cannot be the bearers of the gospel. Anyways, that's another conversation. They'll fall away from the faith. So you understand what I mean by apostatize, right? There's some holding of Christ and they leave Jesus. And maybe there might be some of you here today saying you might be in one camp. You might be saying, I don't I would never. I would never, I would never leave Jesus. This is what Christ has done for me. How could I ever leave him? And I applaud that. Hold on to that. But also, Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Consider the case of the Apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus. He reclined at the table with Christ. He took the last supper with Jesus. And what does he do at the end? Or really the end that turns into a beginning. He denies him. Do not, do not, do not trust in your own flesh. Do not trust in your own ability. You do not have the grip strength to hold on to Jesus until the end. By yourself, you do not have the grip strength. You understand what I'm saying? It's like you're jumping from an airplane and all of a sudden somebody threw a rope in front of you. And you're thinking, I'm just going to grab the rope. You know what's going to happen? It's not going to save you because you don't have the grip strength to stop yourself. Whatever the terminal velocity of a human falling from the air is. I don't know those numbers off the top of my head. It'll burn up your hands. It'll rip your arms out of joint. You'll still fall to the ground. You don't have the grip strength. So where is our hope? What is our only hope in life and death? That I belong to God and not myself. That I'm Christ's and not my own. That it is the good shepherd himself who holds on to me. Because in the gospel, through the power of the spirit, it is Christ who has laid hold of us. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 10? I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. My sheep know me. They know my voice. And they, no one will snatch them from my hand. And what I have belongs to the Father. And no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. You put your confidence in Christ. He will hold you fast. Not your own ability. If you turn to your own strength, you turn to your own flesh, you turn to your own spiritual disciplines only, you turn to yourself to sustain you and to persevere in the faith, you think you're going to white knuckle it, grit your teeth. Dear ones, it's not going to work. When the sun scorches you or the worries and the concerns of this life become like a giant green anaconda around your spiritual throat, your only hope will be that you belong to Christ, not simply that he belongs to you. 
But how does apostasy happen here? They fall away from the faith, paying attention. Now, at the rate we're going, I'm still in verse 1. I've got some work to do, okay? Uh, And I want to parse out two words real quick. Paying attention. And you probably heard this from your mom and dad maybe growing up, but pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Pay attention to who you're listening to. Who's trying to feed you spiritual truth? Who's trying to tell you what is up and down and east and west in this world? What are you being entertained by? Because I can promise you this, everything that you are ingesting, there is a story connected to that entertainment. There is a narrative connected to it. And that narrative is going to come out. And the narrative is what gives you structure for understanding reality. And if you bombard your mind and your soul with a narrative, with a story of reality that is different than the one of the Bible, don't be surprised when you begin to believe that story of reality more than the story of God revealed in the scriptures. Be careful what you pay attention to. I am not probably, maybe, I don't know, some days I'm not trying to be like holy roller fundamentalist guy up here saying that you, you, you know, like go cancel all your subscriptions. Don't watch TV. Don't read anything. Just go read old books, but you'd be better served by old books. That's okay. I'm not saying that necessarily, but spend more time in God's word and be on guard because particularly in this day and age, almost everything that is coming out right now is meant to erode and degrade the narrative of the truth of God's word. That God created the world. He made humans in it good. The problem with humanity is not external to us. It is our own sin and rebellion where we seek our own way to be our own gods away from God. And yet God in his grace has given us redemption through the blood of Christ, through the death of Christ. He offers new life for everyone who will trust in Him through the resurrection of Jesus. And one day, God will call this world to rights. He will call this world to rights. And there will be judgment. And there will be wholeness. This is the narrative of the Bible. But everything you have, what you're paying attention to, wants to degrade that. So these... Apost- the people who are falling away from the faith, they start paying attention to, to two things. And this is the subtlety of our adversary. Just look at what happens here. What they are paying attention to are called deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Now, do you think If something came up to you that looked demonic and it had a shirt that just said deceitful spirit on it with a name tag, you know, saying this is I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but like this is Hazazel, chief deceitful spirit from quarter one, two, eight, nine of hell. I'm here to deceive you. Do you think you'd actually be deceived? If it was that explicit right in front of you. I hope not. 
I hope you would be like, no, no, bro, I'm good. You know, you can, he can literally go to hell and I'm going to go this way. (laughs) But the thing about the deceitful spirits, this is what Paul says in second Corinthians chapter 11, that even Satan comes dressed as a, as a uh, angel of light. Don't be surprised when his servants do the same. That the deceitful spirit and the demonic teaching, that's doctrine means teaching. So there's a deceitful spirit that is an active force that lives to deceive you. Satan and his minions, demons are real and they exist to degrade your confidence in Christ, to cause you to doubt who Christ is and to pull you away from the faith. They live to destroy you spiritually, to get you caught up in their rebellion against God, to destroy the church, to destroy the family. And many other things I'm sure that they're about. But notice, this is what I want you to see. I'm going to say that probably 15 times in this message, but this is what I want you to see. Why? Why am I belaboring this? I don't want to get the glory and you're not going to be there. After you have heard me preach year in and year out and year in and year out. I can't bear the thought. What tricks people isn't just that deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, these demonic teachings might sound appealing to the flesh, but notice how they come into your life. In verse 2, by means of the hypocrisy of liars. That the deceitful spirit, this false teaching, and you can just insert, the, insert it. What is it? What is it? What might be one? Well, God's not a trinity. Jesus isn't God. There's more than one God. That Jesus lives today to give you everything you ever wanted or dreamed. And if you don't get it, then God must not be faithful. That you actually don't need anybody else to tell you what is true and what is right. You are the master of your own fate. You can figure it out on your own. And these are inserted into their lives, into our lives, through the hypocrisy of liars. Who are the liars? It's the false teachers. Whose consciences are seared as with a branding iron. I think they're seared for two reasons. These false teachers, right? They're preaching something other than the gospel. And what does the Apostle Paul tell the church at Galatia? If anyone or even an angel come to you and preach a gospel different than the one that I have given you, let them be accursed. Preaching a false gospel and they're seared in their consciences and the fact that they're now desensitized to their own rebellion. They're desensitized to their own deception, both their self-deception and their ministry of deception. And don't misunderstand me. There are whole gigantic multi-million dollar platforms that are built upon the deception, a ministry of deception, 
of telling you something that you want to hear, but is not the truth. And it comes and there. So there's consciences are seared for that reason so that they can continue deceiving. If their consciences were continue to continually plaguing them, telling them about the untruthfulness of what is being said by them, then they would stop or at least have a conflict of conscience. But their consciences are also seared as with a branding iron. You know why stuff is branded? Why do you go and have a... a I don't, I've never done this. So, but why, why would you go brand a cow? It belongs to you. Satan comes and stamps these consciences saying, Child of hell. It's exactly what Jesus called the Pharisees, by the way. Child of hell. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. That these ones live to deceive. And because they themselves are so deceived, they don't absolutely recognize that they're deceiving You ever see some of the guys on TV and you're thinking, that dude's got to believe that. He absolutely believes this. Some guys on TV, you could say that dude's no. Mm -mm. Obviously just a huckster. Grifter. But there are others of them who say, I think he he really believes it. And the problem is, is that that doesn't make him any better. It just makes his conscience even more seared. We're going to turn this into a two-parter, okay? So we're, I've got stuff to say, so still, good stuff. Good, good things, good things to say. But I want to spend some time here because there are deceitful demons, I mean, deceitful spirits and demonic teachings that are plying for your attention today. They're plying, and, and not even for your attention to make you fall away from the faith, but there are the people who are, or, you know, the seeds falling on the, on the, the, among the rocks or among the thorns or on the path that they've, they've heard the gospel and they don't know quite yet what to do with it. And then in, in swoops someone dressed as an angel of light. Consider the greatest Christian heresies. And here you have deceitful spirits coming with demonic teaching. For example... Joseph Smith and his golden tablets with the birth of the Latter-day Saint, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. One man, one angel, golden tablets that no one ever found, no one's ever seen other than him, telling people something that sounds spiritual but is actually profoundly, profoundly um, wrong. Or the birth, play, birth of Jehovah's Witnesses and Charles Taze Russell. One man, one revelation, always saying that everybody else is wrong except for them. And for people who are plagued by demonic forces, who are plagued by, they're being pulled in many different directions. They love that I'm wrong, everybody else is, I'm right, everybody else is wrong, follow me. That, that's how, that's how the, 
the big cults have grown. And no one wants to think about Islam as a, as a Christian heresy, but Islam is a Christian heresy. It's the same thing. You have Muhammad in a cave by himself receiving something that he comes and brings to everybody else saying everybody else, they might have been good, but they're not that good. Jesus was a good teacher, but he didn't actually die for sins. Not actually the son of God. God can't actually be eternity. Takes the truths that are revealed in the scriptures, perverts and twists them enough. And now you have this gigantic world religion. This is where our battlefield lies. For your own soul. To what or to whom are you listening? Do you have full confidence in what God has said in the Bible? Are you intaking scripture? Are you praying it into your heart? As one preacher these says, are you are you in the word until the word gets in you? Are you seeking to live for Christ? Or are you content to be a fruitless vine? And one day Jesus will prune. But the other place that the battlefield lies is where the Lord has called us. That day in and day out, people that are ours to reach, so to speak, they're in our community. They're in the shadow of this of the steeple, in the shadows of our homes, in the shadows of our workplaces. And the adversary has sent deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons to gobble up their hearts before they can ever trust in Christ. But There's a parable that Jesus tells, and I'll finish up here because I know we got a meeting and stuff and things and whatever. He says that no one tries to rob a strong man without binding the strong man first. So it takes a stronger man to bind the strong man to go and take what's in his house. That right now, dear ones, and it might be some of you. Right now, there are individuals that are bound in shackles of sin and death, bound by Satan, deceived by the him who looks like an angel of light. And there might there are even some whose consciences are seared. Who are engaging in false teaching. Don't anything I've said, don't misunderstand me. That while we're in the last days, until the end of time, while we're in the last days, there is room for repentance. And Jesus is the stronger man who has defeated Satan, who binds him. He says, now at his resurrection, his crucifixion, his resurrection, now is the God of this world judged. Now is the God of this world cast out. That while this day is here, the sun is shining, the sun of Jesus' resurrection, Christ is able to deliver anyone. There are none outside of His sovereign reach. So never write off somebody else. 
Trust in the fact that Jesus holds you. Lean into Christ. Believe in what Christ has said. What he's accomplished for you. The Father holds you in his hand. Let him white knuckle you until eternity. Beware what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Is it cultivating true love for Jesus? But live in this world knowing that this world belongs to Jesus. And that every single person will have to give an account to this Jesus. And pray. Pray that the Lord would break the shackles. And that he would do it through you. Because you have the power of God into salvation, which is the gospel. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid to bring the gospel to bear to anyone. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And they cannot believe if they've never heard the truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you are the sovereign Lord and that you are altogether mighty. And that you alone are God and there's no one like you. There is you and there's everything else. There's creator and there's created. That even these deceitful spirits and even the chief deceiver himself, Satan, is but a creature and cannot compete with you. Lord, would you... If there are any here who are bound up in demonic doctrines, teachings that are robbing them of their life and will rob them from eternity as they entrust their lives to these false gospels, would you break those chains even now that they might know the true, risen, reigning Christ through the power of your spirit and that they would confess true faith in you today? That, Lord, you would give them grace to believe upon you for the first time truly. Would you protect your saints? Would you guard their lives and keep them near, O Lord? Would you shelter them under the shadow of your wings? That they would find courage for the work that you've given them to do. For the days that you have given them to live. Would you make them faithful as they go out into the, the teeth of the darkness? That they might be light, trusting that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, work, bless, build. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.